to be here for this topic as I'm not a girl, maybe you think that, or I've never had an abortion, or I don't really care about abortion, and I want to help you tonight to take a look at what this is, and uh, there we go, and dive into it. So my name's Sean, if you don't know me, I'm the college pastor here, welcome to my house, glad to be with all of you. I've been gone for a while. I just got home myself, so I'm glad that you guys are here as well. Um, Let me start by saying this. Outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, abortion stands as the greatest injustice in the history of mankind. Abortion, as many of you know, is a medical procedure which induces the expulsion of a human fetus to terminate a pregnancy. And as it stands today, American women have the legal right to obtain an abortion in all 50 states through all nine months of pregnancy for virtually any reason at all. Now, this has been true since 1973 when the Supreme Court declared that autonomous abortion rights are built into the Constitution. That is to say that they removed any legal barriers which prevent mothers from aborting their children, saying those are unconstitutional. You might remember this, well, you wouldn't remember it, but you might know this as the Roe versus Wade decision that legalized abortion in the United States. And since it has become legal some 45 years ago, nearly 1.5 million babies have been aborted each year in the United States, as we just saw. Now, abortion has been around a lot longer than 40 years. It was first described, believe it or not, by the ancient Greeks and the Romans even before the time of Christ. Plato and Aristotle are recorded as promoting abortion as a way to control family size, to hide the results of illicit sex, to preserve the feminine sex appeal, and to keep the bouncing babies of the womb. Um, keep, here's a quote. Not to trouble the womb with bouncing babies. The methods they used range from introducing various poisons or drugs into the body, either orally or directly into the womb. They would bind the women in very tight ropes or cloths to try to squeeze the womb and crush the life of the child. Others would try to locate the baby in, in the womb and take a hard object, like maybe like a hammer, and hit the baby through the stomach in an effort to kill it. Sometimes they would even use blades or hooks up the birth canal um, to do the work. And sadly, we use some of those same barbaric methods even today. Now, today there's two categories uh, of what an abortion is in the United States. There is the surgical abortion or the in-clinic abortion and the abortion pill. Uh, the abortion pill is the most common form of abortion by far today. Up until the, the uh, end of the first trimester, till about 12 weeks, you can be prescribed uh, two different pills. And when you walk into an abortion clinic, they'll give you, it's called RU486 if you haven't heard of it. The first, I won't go through the, the, um, the well, the first blocks your progesterone, which basically uh, destabilizes the lining of the uterus and in short terminates the pregnancy. The second that you take a few hours or up to 24 hours later, causes the uterus to contract in an effort to expel the tissue. In other words, the woman will enter into labor and miscarry the baby at that point. There are now four or five states, Hawaii included, I was just there this last week, where uh, this can be done via telemedicine. So you don't even have to leave your house. You can get on the phone, you can Skype or FaceTime in with a doctor, and the doctor will prescribe these pills to you. You can go down to your local pharmacy, pick them up, and no one is the wiser. Easy, private, comfortable, convenient. When the pregnancy, however, gets a little farther along into the second trimester, it's no longer safe to do it at home, and the baby is too large, and so a surgical procedure is necessary. It's called a D&E, or dilation and evacuation, where the abortion provider, provider introduces forceps, 
sort of like long surgical pliers into the womb to dismember the fetus by seizing arms and legs, twisting and tearing until pieces are pulled out. They continue to only the head remains and finally the skull is crushed, pulled out, the baby's reassembled on the back table to make sure everything's been removed. In late-term abortions or partial birth abortions, the baby's injected with poison through the mother's stomach into the, into the womb itself and uh, the baby is killed and then labor is induced and the mother gives birth naturally to a stillborn. And that's a small percentage of abortion. It's only legal in maybe seven or eight states. And there's currently discussion and legislation in some states. New York hit this recently for what they call afterbirth abortions. That is the abortion of a baby up to 72 hours after the baby's been born, even if it's healthy. Now make no mistake, abortion comes straight from hell. And Jesus said in John chapter 8 that Satan is a murderer and has been one since the beginning. And abortion very clearly is murder. Satan stands opposed to all that God is doing and there's no more forward attack than to go into the womb of a mother and destroy the unique work of God. It's a heinous evil that defies the dignity of life and is akin to what we remember or what we know of the German Holocaust. You're, if you, just to give you an idea, you're most likely to have an abortion if you're between the ages of 20 and 30, if you live in an urban city, if you're of a lower socioeconomic level, if you're a black American, the numbers are almost double for the rest of the population. And statistics show that one in three abortions are associated with those that are inside the church. Now, you ask me why are we doing this, and some of you are thinking, why did I come tonight? I don't really care. I don't need to know about this. And I will tell you that you're about to have your eyes open biblically to see about a, a horrible holocaust that's happening and to find out what your responsibility is to love your neighbor. I will say all of us in that. Um, but there are some in this room who have been touched by abortion, and I'll be honest, I don't know who you are, but I know that you're here. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are, is a young woman in the room who's had an abortion and no one else knows about it. I wouldn't be surprised if there's guys in the room or a guy in the room who has encouraged that, um, maybe even paid for it. This has been going on for a long time, and it is inside the church. And it's my heart to speak in an empathetic way. If you're here tonight and you kind of got surprised by this and you've been through this, um, it's, it's my goal to, to um, speak empathetically. Uh, I can't relate to your struggles. I admit that, but my heart is filled with compassion and care and hope. My desire is to help and not to hurt. <coughs> and so if I speak in any kind of an uncaring way, please forgive me for that. That's not my intent. But this will be a tough message to listen to if you've been through this. And difficult memories will be stirred up, feelings of regret, self-loathing, despair, a lot of other things. I talked to somebody recently who had locked this up and thrown the key away, uh, and the Lord has brought it back for her to deal with. Maybe you've never told another soul and hoping for anonymity, but time doesn't heal all wounds. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can heal wounds. There is hope of forgiveness, of relief, of closure, and of peace found only in Christ because he bore sin, he bore shame, he took these things away and he set us free from the weight, the guilt, and the punishment of our sin. Jesus said, I love this in, uh, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 11, it says, um, a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out. And the picture is of one of those reeds in the side of the river that's just hanging on, it's battered, it's been blown around. 
It's just not doing very well. And so Jesus doesn't come and just snap it and throw it away. And if the candle is no longer burning brightly and says it's just a smoldering wick, he doesn't put it out. It says until he leads justice to victory. Jesus comes to heal, to restore, to rescue uh, us in our brokenness. So if you're struggling with this tonight, we'd love to talk to you, obviously. Um, And I want to remind you that um, the Bible teaches that God forgives he makes us a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. The blood of Jesus, 1 John chapter 1, cleanses us from sin. Lamentations 3 declares that God's mercies are new every morning and that for those in Christ, Romans 8, there is no condemnation. But you can have peace with God, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. If you've been through this, I think it's interesting, or maybe you struggle with some other grave sin in your life. Did you know that Moses, David, and Paul were all murderers? And God used them in amazing ways. God forgave them and used them for his glory. And maybe it's time for you to come out of those shadows and use your suffering even to help others. So if you've been through this, my intent is not to stir this up in a way that's hurtful, but in a way that's helpful to you for your future. Now, there's a second group of people, the majority in this room are Christian, the Christian who's not involved. Maybe you don't know much about this. Maybe you admittedly don't care. This isn't my ministry. Right? I, this is just not something I kind of live in my little vanilla uh, safe world of churchianity and everything's okay where I live. And this doesn't exist there. Um, and you've never taken a stand or been active or really even know about abortion. A blind eye uh, and all of that. So, so what about for me? We're all guilty of not standing to defend our neighbors. We've been called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've been called to go to those who are the least and to protect them. Um, We've been called to care for orphans, James chapter 1, in their distress. And yet we're so busy, so distracted, so caught up in other things. To our shame, we put this out of our minds. We know it's happening. I drive down Winchester to work almost every day, and there's people standing in front of an abortion clinic with signs out there at least doing something. And I'm not proposing that we go and lock our heads to a clinic or make some science tonight and go stand on the street corner. But I am suggesting that the people of God have a responsibility to take a stand and to love their neighbors in an effective way. This message is not designed to increase the amount of knowledge in your gray matter, um, but to drive you out of a response and a love for God to love your unborn neighbor. I think it's interesting because there's two types of people I just described. The one person is going to come and potentially hear this message and feel even worse, right? Having, having been through this or knowing somebody that's gone through this and suffering and this brings pain. The other group of people is going to leave here more self-righteous and justified because I would never do that. That's the, that's the risk of being a good Christian and looking down on people that might have sex outside of marriage or might get pregnant when they didn't intend on it or any of these type of things. And both of those are wrong. The horror of abortion should bring us to our knees, crying out to God, how long, O Lord? How long will you let this happen before you act? It should drive us to action to love the least and defend the innocent while we show compassion and empathy for those who are churning in its wake. So we're here tonight not to throw stones, not to condemn, and not to to look down on other people. We're all here under the blood of Christ because at the cross, the ground is level. Now, I've preached on abortion many times, and and in the past, it's always been out of a desire to do something, to help, to take a stand. We have our t-shirts and our bracelets and things like that. That desire is stronger than ever for me. 
But I've missed a piece in the past about the empathetic side of what it means not just to look at the traumatic event that happens in abortion, but for us inside of the church who have friends and coworkers and family members that are dealing with these type of things to actually have an empathetic, compassionate nature for those who are working through the effects of abortion. This sin has the potential to split the soul in half and leave a person permanently emotionally disabled. And the heart of Christ is to bind up the broken and heal people who are suffering. And the heart of our college ministry and of FBC in general is to be a place where that happens through love, counseling, and life-on-life empathy. So there's my introduction. There's many ways to approach this. I hope I have your attention at this point. And we can look at the scientific evidence because it's, it is uh, deep and wide. We can discuss philosophy or talk about ethics. We can argue over legislation and, and politics. But tonight we're going to leave all those things aside and examine the biblical perspective and allow God to speak on this issue. What I'd like to do is just to uncover as quickly as we can seven worldly lies and contrast them with biblical truths. Seven worldly lies about what, a, what abortion is. You're gonna, when you hear these, you'll recognize them and what the Bible says in contrast to them. And again, my goal is to inform your mind, to kindle your heart, and to call each of us to action so that none of us leaves here unchanged. 18-year-old guy, you're, not leaving cha- you're leaving here changed by the word of God because we need to step up and do something. 24-year-old young lady, you're leaving here changed because you want to do something um, to love your neighbor and to be empathetic to the people suffering. So there we go. Let's go through these seven as quickly as we can. Number one is this, the first worldly lie. This is what you hear. It's not a baby. It's just a mass of tissue. You ever heard that? That's what they're saying in your high schools. So they're saying in your colleges. That's what's on Planned Parenthood's website. This is one of the most common arguments given. It's just a primitive clump of cells, a collection of tissue, a non-viable organism, an undifferentiated blob of protoplasm. It's not a baby yet. Life has yet to begin. If you go to the Planned Parenthood website, it says the abortion pill causes cramping and bleeding that empties the uterus. You'll pass clots and tissue and have cramping, but we'll be back to normal usually by the next day. They never talk about babies. They never talk about life. They talk about tissue and stuff in there that is not associated with a baby. They argue that the simple procedure in which you're not taking a human life, you are terminating a pregnancy. (coughs) But the Bible teaches, that's the worldly lie, it's not a baby, it's just a lump of tissue. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. God himself, did you know this, personally creates every life. Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a gift from the Lord. They come straight from his hand. I don't think all of your parents would say that, that they're a gift from the Lord, but they really, you really are, and so am I. Children are God's unique creation. He opens the womb, and Genesis 20, verse 18 says that he can also close the womb. Creating the life of a human being is the sovereign work of God. In Job chapter 12, verse 10, it says that in God's hand is the life of every living thing. So turn with me to Psalm 139, probably the high point in the Bible, talking about the, um, and the most definitive passage that talks about God's active involvement in the womb. Psalm 139, let's look at verse 13. This is a phenomenal passage. 
This is David, and he says in verse 13, Psalm 139, For you formed my inward parts. That is my heart, my lungs, my kidneys, my liver, other vital organs. And you wove me in my mother's womb. Literally, the Hebrew there is that you stitched me together. Verse 14, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. 15, my frame was not hidden from you. What's the the frame? Those are bones, muscles, ligaments, tendons, the structure. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That phrase, the depths of the earth, is a euphemism for the womb. The hidden place, the secret place. Verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when there was, when as yet there was not one of them. This is God personally, intimately involved in the very first stages of life. And I love Jeremiah 1.5. It says there, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. The late Dr. Jerome Lejeune. You guys know him? I didn't think so. But he discovered the genetic link to Down syndrome. He said this, quote, After fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being. There is, this is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. Each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception, end quote. Let me tell you about this. It takes just 21 days before the baby's heart starts to beat. Four days later, it will be pumping blood throughout the embryo's tiny body. It beats approximately 54 million times before birth. During the fourth week, the brain begins dividing into its three primary sections and the arms and legs take shape. Hands and feet emerge after four weeks. After six weeks, the brain emits measurable brain impulses and the embryo responses, responds reflexively to stimulus. All of this, listen carefully, before most women even know that they're pregnant. Distinct leg movements and hiccups have been observed after seven weeks. Fingers and toes are now separated, and the embryo develops the ability to smell. I'm not sure how that's possible. But after eight weeks, though the baby is less than two inches long, every organ is present and in place. At nine weeks, fetuses are capable of sucking their thumb, grasping objects, responding to touch, and doing somersaults. I don't know what's happening with Zach and Shelby right now. That thing's doing any somersaults in there? No baby yet? No, but they were driving here and she was having contractions. All right. They left. Maybe the baby's baby's doing somersaults. By week 10, the child squints, swallows, and frowns. By week 12, the child is kicking, curling his toes, making a fist, moving his thumbs, and opening his mouth. All of this inside the first trimester. All of that can be answered with a pill. All of those things. In the remaining two trimesters, nothing new develops or begins functioning. The fully intact child only grows and matures. It is an indisputable fact that every surgical abortion stops a beating heart and stops already measurable brain waves. Abortion then is not just a procedure that terminates a pregnancy. It is not just a massive tissue. It is the murder of an innocent and defenseless human being. So that's the first one. The second worldly lie is this. The fetus is not a person yet. The fetus is not a person yet. This argument says that we understand the science that life begins at conception, but the embryo or fetus is not yet a human being. It is a developing human, but does not have the rights of personhood until some further point of development. In short, it's not yet a person, and therefore it has 
no rights. It begs the question, at what point does it become wrong to intentionally destroy a developing human being? In a survey taken, 66% of Americans thought abortion should be legal in the first trimester, but only 10% believed it should be legal in the third. What's the discrepancy? A third trimester abortion kills a what? A baby, right, in their minds. And a first trimester only kills a bunch of cells. So if the fetus is not yet a person, the world says, the Bible contrary says he or she is an image bearer. That's the biblical truth. He or she is an image bearer. Let me say it clearly. Every adult, every teenager, every child, every infant, every fetus, every embryo, every zygote is made in the image of God. And that brings value and personhood to every created being in the womb, no matter how small. Genesis 1.26, you remember the passage? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does this mean? Why is that so important? Because you are not a mere mortal. Your existence is not just flesh and bones. Okay? This is just a shell or a vessel or a repository into which God has placed your spirit. You are immortal. Now listen. You're not going to be in a superhero movie, okay? And do any of those crazy things. You have something much better than what is given to those superheroes in our comic book um, stories. You have the very image of God dwelling in you. You've been made like your father. In addition, you've been given the capacity as part of that for relationships. We can love and we can hate. We can understand. We can feel. We can think. We can feel pain. We can choose. We can act. All those are given to us as part of the image of God. And because of this, man is assigned a very high position or high value by his creator. So high, in fact, that murder is wrong because it takes the the life, listen carefully, murder is wrong because it takes the life of an image bearer. That's what Genesis 9, 6 says. It says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. That's capital punishment. You shed the blood of another, you take a life, you will lose your life. And he says this, because, or for, in the image of God, he made man. The reason abortion is wrong is because it takes the life of an individual that's made in God's image. One writer said it this way, quote, the value of a single human soul is a staggering thing. In the biblical economy, the value of one human soul exceeds that of the entire material universe combined. Souls are eternal. Gold and diamonds are not, end quote. The arguments over when the fetus possesses, possesses personhood are called decisive moments. When does this fetus become a person? Science says that's this decisive moment. I'll give you three of them, even though there's more. One is viability. What, what's viability? When life can be sustained outside of the womb. Okay? But is that really when somebody should be a person? Because as medical science advances, the age of viability, what? It's changed. It's decreasing. That means that viability has more to do with the ability of medical technology to sustain life outside the womb more than the essence of the fetus. It relates more to the fetus's location and dependency as opposed to personhood. There's a guy from Grace Community Church um, who he and his wife had a baby maybe three or four months ago. I want to say it was 21, 24 weeks. That's crazy. And this little baby, little Jack, is still alive. You know why? 
because medical science is unbelievable right now and it's keeping him alive. But what's the difference? Viability will continue to get lower as we get better. So that isn't a good judge of personhood. The next decisive moment is called sentience. That's the ability that we have to feel pain. Uh, so as soon as a fetus can feel pain, then it's a person and therefore should be allowed to survive. This confuses the experience of harm with the reality of harm. I don't want to get philosophical on you, but it doesn't make logical sense that the fetus, the fetus cannot be harmed simply because it cannot feel pain. It's like saying if I was paralyzed from the waist down and you came up and chopped off one of my legs and I couldn't feel it, you weren't doing harm to me. Well, no, you just cut off my leg. Whether I can feel it or not, you've done harm to me. And it's the same thing here. It doesn't have anything to do with personhood, whether or not you can feel pain. It just has to do with whether or not you can feel pain, right? And then the third one would be at birth. At birth, some people say the decisive moment is at birth. Once a baby's born, then it becomes a person, okay? <coughs> but nothing from the minute before birth to the minute after birth changes except one thing, location. Maybe three or four inches, that's it, as a baby comes out. That's all you get. That's the only difference. This is the reason why Kermit Gosnell, um, if you remember him from a few years ago, he was an abortionist in New York, and he botched a couple of, of late-term abortions. And so when the babies came out alive, he snipped their spinal cord, and he's in jail right now for murder. You know why? Because they're babies. They're people. Every adult human being is the result of the continuous growth from conception to adulthood. There is nothing added, nothing changed. It is a progression. From the moment of your conception, when you are just one single cell, you have all the DNA necessary, all of the character qualities given to you for personhood at that point. Nothing changes. There's just a development all the way from that point until the day that you die, Lord willing, as an old person. Okay? And by the way, when you start messing with um, things on the front end of life and birth, what comes very quickly after that is you start messing with things on the back end of life, which is old age. And what is the value of somebody that's in their 80s or 90s that they've lost their mind? They're such a drain on the resources of, of our country. They cost so much money. They're such a pain to take care of. Where is the value in this? Well, I'll tell you right now, biblically, the value is in the fact that they're people. They have dignity because God made them in his image. And we should care for them the way that we would want to be cared for, but we should care for them all the way to the day that they die. That's another, another message for another time. Anyway, from the, from the beginning conception, um, a baby has all the capacity necessary to mature into a full adult. And therefore, at birth, excuse me, at conception, you have a, a human being. So what do we say? He or she is an image bearer made in the image of God. Let's go number three, worldly lie. This is my choice because this is my body. My choice, my body. I can do what I want with my body. I didn't ask to be pregnant. I don't even want this baby. It's an intrusion into, into my personal life, my personal space. Some people have even called unwanted pregnancy the second sexually transmitted disease. And you've heard the phrase, if you can't trust me with a choice, then how can you trust me with a baby? And the argument is, it's my body, I have a right to choose what to do with it. And I would agree. I would completely agree. A woman has a right to choose what to do with her body. But in this case, the choice has already been made, hasn't it? She chose to give herself to another person sexually. She chose to, um, to engage in, in a decision 
and in an act, and in that made a choice. And now, listen carefully, God has made his choice. He granted that woman and that couple a baby, a new life, a gift, an eternal soul made in his image. You see, once a woman is pregnant, she can't decide or choose whether or not she wishes to become a mother. She already is a mother. All that is left for her to decide is whether she will deliver her baby dead or alive. You may not have wanted to be pregnant. You may have not have asked for it. It may not have happened in your timetable. But every action has a reaction. Every cause has an effect. The biblical truth, if that's the worldly lights, my body I can choose. The biblical truth is that your body is not your own. Your body is not your own. The Bible teaches that your body is not your own. And young men, I'm going to pull you into this. Because abortion is never just a one-person deal. There's a male involved in every single one. He may have just been a one-night stand and out the door months ago, or he may be encouraging or paying for the abortion, but guys are pressing and pressing to have their physical desires met. In an effort to keep their guys happy, girls finally relent. And I've told you this old saying before, but I'll say it again. Guys give love for sex. They will give love to the girls in order to get sex, and girls will give sex in order to get love from the guys. It's a brutal thing that, that causes us to spiral deeper into sin. But listen to me, young man and young woman. Your body was not given to you to satisfy your own sexual desires, but rather to live in your physical body in a way that shows off Christ. As a Christian, you are called to be different with your eyes, with your hands, with your mind, with your mouth, with your body. There's no more radical way to be different in this culture than to be somebody that stands for purity. Why don't you have sex, they say? Why aren't you like every other guy? How come you're not sleeping with your boyfriend? Because I love Jesus Christ and I've given my body to him. If I claim Christ, if you claim Christ, this is your reality. That's Romans 12.1 where it says that we present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, right? Our bodies to God. The simple truth is that you're not like an Old Testament sacrifice where it slit its throat, bleed it out, put it onto the altar, light it up on fire and stay warm in the fire. In the New Testament, it is our bodies, Romans 12 says, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Your living physical body goes on the altar as the spiritual service of worship to God. Your body's not your own, you belong to Christ. You know the verse, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. you guys wanna turn there? Let's look at that, I, this is a great verse. 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Do you know that? Your body. It's talking to Christians. Your physical body is God's temple. In the Old Testament, God dwelled first in the Garden of Eden, then in the tabernacle. Or he, I guess you could say he was in the cloud, in the fire, in the days of Moses. Then the tabernacle, then the temple, in the person of Christ. Today, God dwells, the temple is your body. It says there, he is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. God dwells inside of you, and he desires your holiness and your purity. Verse 20 says, you have been bought with a price. That is the blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body is not yours to do what you want with. Your body was given to you to glorify God, and he bought you with his blood. So as to say, stop messing around, stop 
playing around. Stop looking at things you shouldn't look at and start living for Christ. I just want to encourage you to choose wisely now. Choose to protect your purity now. Make wise decisions about holiness now so that you don't have a much more difficult decision down the road when you find out, oops, what, what? Looks like I'm pregnant. It's crazy. But think about this. Um, Each of us has violated God's perfect standard and become his enemy. The Bible defines that as sin, right? God has every right to judge us, to condemn us, to banish us from his presence. But he didn't leave us there. This is what I think is amazing. God made a choice. Okay? We always think about God so loved the world that he gave. God made a choice to love us. Okay? He did. a, A choice to sacrifice, a choice to give up his freedoms. Unlike saying it's my body, so it's my choice, Jesus said, no, I willingly laid down my life for others. He didn't think of himself. He thought of you and he thought of me. He chose to submit, to go to the cross, to put the needs of you and I above his own. And he made a choice for us. And I'm glad he did. Are you not glad he did? I am. That Jesus loved us enough to make that choice. So anyway, there is a choice to make, but you just got to be careful with that. Um, So we'll say this, your body's not your own. Number four. No one will know. No one will know. Abortion's a secret. It's private. In the state of California, uh, an underage girl can get an abortion without parental permission. All she needs is about $500 and a ride to and from the abortion clinic. That's crazy. It's crazy. And you're wondering, as a parent, sweet little Susie at 15 years old um, was just so normal. And then you don't know that she went and had an abortion. And all of a sudden, she's different. She's... And she's dealing internally with all of these things because she never told anybody. And she's locked up on it, and she never really heals from that. It's really difficult. But anyway, no one knows. No one needs to find out. The paperwork is signed. Abortion is performed. No one's the wiser. But the Bible says that someone is watching. The biblical truth is that God will hold every person accountable for their actions. God sees all. God knows all. So Hebrews 4.13 says there's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees it all. And the eye of God is uniquely drawn toward the innocent, toward the defenseless, and compassion and care. Psalm 68, verse 5 says that he's a father to the fatherless, and he's a judge for the widows. Deuteronomy 10 says he executes justice for the orphan and the widow. God doesn't look the other way. He will not let the sin of abortion escape. He will execute justice. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 4 of Cain and Abel? Right after Cain killed his brother Abel, the Lord said to Cain, this is Genesis 4, 9, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you know what the answer to that question is? Have you ever wondered about that? What's the answer to that question? The answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are. Verse 10, he said, what have you done? God speaking. What have you done? Listen to this phrase. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God personifies the blood of Abel, saying that it is calling to him from the ground. And I would say the blood of the innocent stains the ground and cries out for what? It's crying out for what? That's right. It wants justice. Listen carefully. The blood of millions of countless babies that have been murdered while still in the womb stain the streets of America and their blood cries out to God. 
We are a nation of murderers who have substituted the sanctity of life for quality of life. We have discarded those who have been made in God's image and have replaced it with a choice. We are guilty. And Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says that God will bring every act to judgment, whether it is hidden, whether it is good or evil. R.C. Sproul recently passed away, but he said this. Abortion is not just evil. It is a monstrous evil. I've spent my whole life studying theology, teaching theology, and I can tell you that if I know anything at all about God, I know that God hates abortion, and I know that he will not tolerate this forever. So, we can say God will hold you accountable. Number five, we'll pick it up a little bit. I'm willing, excuse me, I'm unwilling to sacrifice my future. You ever heard that one? I'm not going to... I can't sacrifice my future. It's probably the most common reason. I, I can't have a baby right now. What about my social life, my friendships? My, what, what's my boyfriend going to say? My parents, my education, my career, my future. It's not part of my plan. I'll have to drop out of school, bear the shame and embarrassment of pregnancy, and I won't be able to do what I want with my life. One feminist leader said it this way. Most people are pro-life with three exceptions, rape, incest, and my situation. In essence... What this is saying is that I'm willing to sacrifice my child to the idols of success, autonomy, money, convenience. Though most women don't have it in their mind, what they're sacrificing their children to is a false god, uh, and that's exactly what abortion is. So the biblical truth here is that child sacrifice is deplorable to God. So if you said, I'm unwilling to sacrifice my future, the Bible says child sacrifice is deplorable to God. Let me explain that. Because the word abortion may never appear on the pages of Scripture, but child sacrifice does all across the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 31, listen to this. It says, For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their God. Think about that. This was their worship of the false gods. They would actually take their kids and put them into the fire and sacrifice them. Psalm 106, 37 they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with their blood. The people of Israel had gotten so screwed up in their thinking that instead of worshiping God, they're literally putting their kids into the fire as an act of worship to a stone or a wooden idol. And as crazy as that sounds to us, I don't think today's abortions are very different. You may not be putting your child down at the foot of something made out of, out of wood or stone, but you are sacrificing them to the gods of convenience, of self, and of freedom. And they are powerful gods. In short, abortion says, I'm willing to kill my baby because it interferes with my life. And in that statement, you've just elevated yourself to the seat of sovereignty, which is idolatry, the worship of self, and ultimately that defines abortion. Number six, worldly lie, I have a good reason, rape, incest, genetic defects. This is pretty tough. You start dealing on this side of the world. Rape and incest are horrific evils in which a woman is forced against her will to have sex. There are some in this room who are the victim of this type of abuse, potentially. So this is a sensitive subject. Uh, but the argument in each of these areas is that I have a good reason to abort the baby. I was forced to have sex. I don't want the offspring of this monster who attacked and forced himself on me. Or the baby is going to be born with spina bifida, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy. Or it's going to be a danger to me as the mom. I don't want to have a baby that's damaged. I don't want to have a high-risk pregnancy. I want to have a good reason to abort. 
or I have a good reason to abort, and I just want to start over. The Bible says this. That's a lie. The Bible says this. God is in control. The biblical truth is that God is sovereign. Sean, how can you say God is in control of a rape, and why would he allow such evil? And I don't know the answer to that. I can't say I'm not God, but I know the character of God. I know what he's promised in his word. I know that he is faithful and true and his mercies are new every morning. I know that he's working together everything for good to those that love God. I know that his ways are not like our ways. I know that sin and suffering was not his desire for us, but it's something that we chose. And even when we can't see the why, we're called to trust him. That was the case with Job in chapter 1 who said after his entire life fell apart and he's sitting in the dust covered with boils with nothing left, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At the very end of it, even though he didn't understand, he trusted and he knew that God was in control. He put his life in his hands and he worshiped. So here's the bottom line. Rape, incest, or otherwise, it doesn't change the fact that this is the creation of God. God opened the womb. Life is created by God. You say, well, what about a baby with birth defects? Are they a gift from the Lord? Listen to Exodus 4.11. The Lord said, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Wow. John chapter 9, Jesus actually said this. This man was born blind for the glory of God. God has his purposes. He opens and closes the womb for his purpose and his glory, and we can rest in that. Now, rape and abortion are both acts of violent assault against an innocent victim. Categorize this. Both, okay, abortion and rape, violent assault against innocent victim. Aborting a child conceived through rape simply extends this pattern of violence and victimhood. It does not unrape the woman. Whereas rape is an act of violence for which she bears no responsibility, abortion is an act of violence for which she is morally capable, morally culpable. You guys get that? Okay. I'm going to leave it because we're going to run out of time. Number seven, worldly lie. If you got it, congratulations. You get an extra point. I feel trapped and I don't have any other options. And the biblical truth is let Jesus carry your burden. The lie of the world is that I need to internalize this, keep it secret, deal with it on my own, and just get it done. Alone, scared, under tremendous pressure, what do you do? Jesus says very carefully, come to me and find rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. For anybody who's working through this, or if you have friends working through this, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me from humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we, stopping the spiral of bad choices, there is hope, there are people who could help, there are options outside of abortion. So, I don't know where you're at tonight. That's the, the, the bulk of my message. If you've had an abortion, if you're familiar with somebody who's had an abortion, if you have friends, family member, um, then again, my intent is not to open old wounds or to press your face in your past sins. I can only imagine the pain and sorrow that you've dealt with. Uh, forgive me if I've offended you in any way. 
But the simple reality is that the only way to have sin forgiven and your past removed is at the cross of Christ. Whatever the sin is that you're dealing with today, whether it's something unrelated to this, only he can bind broken hearts and forgive and wash us clean. That's why Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sin from us. So, for those who are here tonight, most of us as Christians saying, what do I do now? What do I do now? Um, I, I have a, a list of things I can rattle off to you. We can talk about it maybe after the night, the night is over. But th- there is a lot that we should be doing. And to say that it's not my ministry, it's not something I struggle with, I don't know anybody that's dealing with it, those are all cop-outs in my mind where we should be taking steps forward to love our neighbors in new and different ways. And practically, I'll give you a couple things, but I want to say this first. I was reading, it's Revelation chapter 6, and it's a different, you don't have to turn there, it's a different context talking about something different, but it reminds me of the situation, because it's, the, it's those who are in the tribulation that have been martyred for their faith, and they're under the altar of the throne of God, and they're there, and you know what they're saying? They're praying, and they're looking up to the Father, and they're saying, how long, O Lord? And what are they asking for? They're asking for justice. And the, the answer is, here's white robes, rest a little bit longer. And I, I, I can't help but think God will not let this stand forever. This goes up to heaven, the blood cries out from the ground. And in the meantime, before, God will avenge. God will not let sin go unpunished. He will right every wrong. He loves justice and he won't let this go on forever. But until that day when he returns to make all things new, we must stand for the weak and love the hurting and live as kingdom citizens in a world that's getting darker and darker. So what does that mean for you as an individual? I don't know. I got a few things like I said. But I would encourage you that um, if we were going to say, you know, I would say there's three steps in the process for you as a Christian, for me as a Christian. The first is to be educated, is to be educated. And I've, I've tried to do a little bit of that tonight. And we're going to give you some tools tonight to help with that Abort 73, the video you saw in our garage is set up for this. But education is one of the most important things. You need to know and understand what's going on. The second is to be equipped. And I would say, what does it mean to be equipped? It means that first, before anything else, are you ready for this? You know your Bibles. You know what the Bible teaches about this because as you understand who God is and who man is and you see the wickedness of what this is, this will impact and change you from the inside out. You won't be able to stand and just sit there and go, ah, this is boring. Can we get on with it? This is huge. To be equipped not only to do that but to disciple others, right, to live lives of purity, to actually in this room, some of you are moving to junior high staff high school staff, you're doing children's ministry, you're involved with younger people, as you seek to, to uh, show them and model what it means to be a, a Christian that loves Christ and to set an example as an older to a younger, that is huge um, to be equipped in that way, to even be ready, to quiz yourself. Nikolai and I sit down, I go, Nikolai, what if you talk to a guy tomorrow at school? That wouldn't happen because it's Saturday, but what if you talk to a guy on Monday at school who says, yeah, my girlfriend is going to have an abortion, would you be ready? And what would you say to him? And I don't want you to answer right now. I'll give you about two minutes, then you can answer. No, I'm kidding. Um, what would you say? So are, are we prepared even for what happens when she walks through the door, he walks through the door, and how we can help with that? I'm just rattling off a few things. I would say, here's one. Go, to, go see the movie Unplanned. You guys have heard of that? We went and saw it um, a couple weeks ago. It's phenomenal. It's graphic. It will, it will 
probably not leave you without tears in your eyes, but it is a really, really good look at what abortion is, what abortion does. I would say this too. This is not a political battle, okay? Yeah, this is being talked about and legislated at a national and a state level. It's out there like crazy right now. There's some really big things happening. Mike Spielman, the guy from Abort 73, we'll talk about him in a minute, but he's had more hits in the first two months at Abort 73 this year than he had all of last year because for whatever reason, this thing's really really spinning and hitting in Washington right now. There's a ton of fetal heartbeat, I shouldn't say a ton, there's seven or eight fetal heartbeat um, bills out there, which basically are setting up so that as soon as a heartbeat is detected, you can't have an abortion, which would basically put it back to week, anybody remember? 24 days, good, week six. Um, That's very good. Um, But there's a lot of these bills that are sitting in the states so that if if, uh, the Supreme Court, which has shifted to be more conservative with the... um, the, the bringing on of, of Neil and, uh, I call him by his first name, and uh, Kavanaugh, right, as it, as it has swung that way, that whole thing could come down. But let me say it one more time. This is not a political battle. This is a moral battle. This is a battle over the dignity of life. This is a battle over, the, uh, over God versus Satan. It is much more than that. So we don't need to get our picket signs out and go down there, although you can as an individual if you want to. I think that the, the issue is bigger. Get on your knees and pray like mad. Educate and equip yourself with the word of God uh, and, and the tools of what abortion is, and then go love on people as often as you can. Uh, I, will, I will end. We're going to hit, hit with Spielman here for the very, very end. Uh, one more video. Sorry, that's Abort 73. But this is an old friend of mine. I went to elementary school with this guy, and he started this website maybe 15 or 20 years ago called Abort73.com. Um, 1973 is when Roe v. Wade hit. And it's probably, in my, well, it's in my estimation, the best uh, resource that's available anywhere from a biblical, philosophical, ethical, scientific, political. He puts all of it out there um, of what abortion is and, and defense against it. And it's super clean, super clear. So, and they work off of T-shirts. Um, actually, should we come back to this at the very end? I'll just do it now. I'll just do it now. Um, uh, their, their strategy, this is just a simple little thing. To, to take a step forward is that they have bracelets, they have t-shirts, and so you wear this and somebody says, what's that? Or somebody sees it and they go to the website uh, and they, they're confronted then with the realities of what abortion really is. It's a great tool to wear at school, to wear at work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we have some of those out there, which Terrell will talk about more in a minute. So that's it for me. Thank you guys for paying attention. I know it's a tough topic. And again, there's two groups of people, and I want to make sure that we're okay. There's one group of those struggling with this. Praise God for the cross. I hope in empathy of what Jesus has done that you're doing okay. The second group are those who walk through and feel I'm even more self-righteous now because I've never struggled with this or I don't deal with that. You're wrong. Ask for forgiveness again even now and recognize that all of us are called to love our neighbors. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to...